All right, welcome back to the Expanded Minds podcast. Today I have a special guest with me, and his name is Grandmaster Wolf, also known as GM Wolf. There are many things to label GM Wolf, and paradoxically, there's nothing to label him at all. GM Wolf is a mystic, Taoist monk, therapist, martial artist, mentalist, and a traveler slash explorer, and we can give him many more labels. The reason why I have GM Wolf with me today, the reason why I have GM Wolf here with me today is not only because of his mind-boggling mystical and physical feats, but also because of the mind and the truth he carries. So GM, welcome to the podcast. And uh, can you give people a quick uh, timeline of your life so they can get an idea of who you are and what you've done? Oh, sure. That's easy. I haven't done that much, to be honest. (laughs) By the time I was nine years old, born in Scotland, by the time I was nine years old, I was uh, very disillusioned, bit of an abusive upbringing. Um, I couldn't understand why I had been born into an abusive, such an abusive life. But as a nine-year-old, you don't really know much about these things. So I thought that all life was like that and everyone went through what I was going through. So I started looking and searching as to why this is. Long story short, ended up meeting um, a very good martial artist from China. Um, He pointed me in the direction of spirituality. So I started in martial arts. I ended up meeting up with a grandmaster from China um, who was uh, an iron shirt expert, but he used to work for the Chinese Tong and uh, in a very nasty way. And eventually he, uh, he wanted to leave the Tong and not many people get to leave alive, but uh, he was well respected and well known. So he left, he paid a price, they threw acid in his face and took his face off. So he just had one little eye that he could see through. And he became my first teacher, my first master. By the time I was 12 or 13, he was shaking his head and told me that I was broken on the inside because of the abuse that I'd gone through as a child. And he suggested that I went to another master which ended up being in Tibet so he gave me a letter of introduction and sent me on my way I was met at the um oh gosh I I was met at the airport anyway in Nepal by a Sherpa who then took me across the border into Tibet and we walked for quite some days I ended up at a monastery a temple and um, by the time I was 15, I was ordained as a, um, a Tibetan monk studying Buddhism. My questions was not in line with the understanding of religious Buddhism. So my teachers at the time moved me on to a more mystical teaching outside of religion which is basically the sciences of enlightenment and self-mastery, but without the religious content. 
around 1990, uh, sorry, 1985, I was in a monastery in Tibet at a meeting at a place called Chokhong Monastery. At that particular time, uh, Chinese soldiers who were disguised as Tibetan policemen came into our monastery and started attacking people and killing monks and throwing monks off the roof. Um, there was an attempt to hang me at the time, but it was a very, uh, there was a um, riots going on in the streets of Tibet at the time. So it was a very, very confusing state of, of conditions. So one of the, uh, the Chinese soldiers put a noose around my neck and another soldier was meant to be tying off the rope. The guy that put the noose around my neck threw me off the roof. The guy tying the knot didn't tie the knot quick enough, so I hit the ground without being hung. So from there, everything started to settle down. Um, out of the 12 monks from my monastery, nine of them had been killed that day. So there was three of us left. Uh, the Chinese soldiers took us and tortured us for about a week. And then the, um, the British consulate came in and saved us. Now, luckily for me, one of the three of us that was saved was my teacher at the time, my master. And he pointed out to me that if all of this has destroyed my mind, if I hold any fears, if I hold any malice or revengeful thoughts about these people, then my whole time into bed as a monk would have been a waste of time. So I convalesced. I've been shot twice and hung and tortured. So I convalesced for about a month to six weeks. And then I went to China and joined a monastery in China. Um, Daoushin Monastery was the name of the place, and that was on a mountain called Leifa Mountain in the Hunan province. And that's where I studied my Kung Fu, my martial arts, and that's where I studied Qigong, I guess. The spiritual side of things I'd already looked into in Tibet. So then after five years of living with the Chinese monks, in Taoist monasteries, etc., I ended up coming back, coming back, going to Australia. I'm actually in Sweden right now. And in Australia, I opened up my own temple, my own monastery, um, and then started teaching from there. Very, very quickly, I was offered jobs by other monasteries to be um, head trainer. And that's it. That's all I've done. And I've got students all around the world. And one thing has led to another with my students. And here I am in Europe, now living on an island in the Swedish archipelago. Quick look. That's my island. Oh, wow. That, that's the ocean out there. That's not a lake. So uh, that's it. And here I am on my island. And that's all there is. I haven't done anything else. Very boring. Where's your pina colada? <laughs> Where's your uh, pina colada? Sorry? Where's my pina, pina colada. colada. <laughs> that's a drink, isn't it? 
Yep, it's the island yeah. drink. Oops, hang on, what's going on here? Yeah, sorry, I um I've never tasted alcohol ever, so I'm not I'm not sure what all of that is. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. Um so I have a question about, I guess we can talk about mysticism here. Ooh. But people talk about like going within. And so personally, like, look how, like, this is like four inches right here. My, my arms are skinny. Like, how does that make sense? <laughs> how does that make sense that I can go within myself? So can you kind of break that down, what that means? Especially for the average person who's starting out with mysticism. That's a key principle, like going within. So what does that mean? Absolutely. Going within means that going within means reverse engineering your state of being as it is right now. And that's not going to mean anything to anyone. So I'll have to explain. <clears throat> the day you were born, the day life produced you, life produced a pristine, clean, state-of-the-art skin bag. In that skin bag is a pristine, clean, state-of-the-art chunk of awareness. We call that a baby, beautiful little baby, full of awareness, no thoughts, no emotions, just happy, happy, joy, joy. The default state of life is very joyous and very passionate and very alive. That's what is in there when you get rid of everything else. Anyway, I've gone a little bit too fast. So the day you are born, you are this pristine, clean mind. Now that mind, that awareness that you are, that consciousness is in all things the same one. Anything that is alive has consciousness and awareness. That's what we call being alive. Every blade of grass in the world has enough awareness to follow the sun across the sky. We learn that at school. Every leaf on every tree has awareness in it. So wherever there's life, there's awareness. Wherever there's awareness, there you are. That's you. And that just keeps getting put into different forms. So as a human being, when you are born, for many reasons, unfortunate reasons, by the time we're five, six, maybe 10 years old, people have filled that beautiful, pristine, clean awareness with words and labels and rules and traditions and religions and opinions and judgments. And this all coalesces into a mass and that becomes ego. That also is what we, it will call itself self and then it will pretend to be you for the rest of your life. You being that original awareness that came out of your mother's womb, the you that nature produced. That ego was produced by other people, other people's labels. This is a cup, that's a broom, this is wrong, that's right, this is, shouldn't be like that. These are other people's opinions and they fill you up and your original ego is built and designed by other people and by society. So by the time you're 12, a young teenager in general, 
you have no idea where you come from. You have no idea that you are full of awareness. You have no idea of the real original you. So you have to, if you are going to follow the mystical way, you have to reverse engineer that. You have to go inward and watch these thoughts and trace them back to a point where you reach inside yourself where you are producing these thoughts. Then you go back one step further to the knowing. You can't think of something you don't know. If I ask you to think of a motor car, if you don't know what a motor car is, you can't put that into a picture. You can't think it. Therefore, you can't think of something you don't already know. So what you will realize at that point of reverse engineering is you already know things before you think them. So now you've arrived at a part of you that is full of invisible knowing. And that knowing is in the awareness that you are born as. It has the knowledge of everything that awareness has ever been in. It's in there. So you have access to that. That is you. And that's what is meant by going inwards. There's many things to do when you go inwards. If you think that this thing here is self and you start exploring that, what you're going to find is it's impatient because matter doesn't live very long. It can't hold itself together for long. So you become impatient. You become in a hurry. <clears throat> if you start to explore this, you'll realize that it's full of opinions. It's full of emotions. You can't control many of them. No one can. They get worse and worse as you get older because no one puts any time into controlling them. Therefore, your ability to control these internal forces atrophies very, very quickly and you become useless. So your ego takes over, which is built by other people in society. So it's not you. Shall I keep going on that track or have I answered your question already? That's pretty, that's pretty accurate. I'll say, yeah, that answers the Thank question. you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, within that, I would say, because personally, my own experience is going within, there are some thoughts or some emotions or memories to me that are so real in the moment that sometimes it's kind of hard to see through it as just, you know, a, a thought or an illusion. And so for you, like, what are some big things, what were some things that you had to like go through that, what are some illusions that you had to break down that were pretty hard to like break down at first? There's only one. And that is that If you are aware that you are thinking and you're watching your thoughts and when you become aware that you're not thinking and there's no thoughts there momentarily to be seen, you must inevitably have the realization of I am something else in here. I am not my thoughts. If I know when I'm thinking and I know when I'm not thinking, then thinking has nothing to do with knowing. That was my major one. In your thought process are all illusions, all of them. There's no 
this illusion or that illusion, every single illusion comes from, and delusion comes from the ego, especially if you believe that your ego is you, and especially if the ego believes that it's you, you are fodder to every delusion and illusion that your ego can put up. That's the first thing to get to. Now, the only thing you need to understand is when you are thinking, you are the delusion, you are being the illusion. When you are watching those thoughts and watching that illusion, you are that original awareness, as long as you're not thinking. When you watch thoughts, you have to step out of them to watch them. It's like if you want to watch a raging river, you can't jump in there to see it. You're not going to see the river the way you want to. It's going to kill you. You have to get up on the bank and then you can see the river. You can see what it does. You can see how dangerous it is. You can see all the parts that would hurt you if you would jump in there. You can see how you would be hopeless and helpless if you jumped in there. And that's the same as meditation. When you're watching your thoughts, you have to step out of them and you'll see them in front of you. You will see a thought and then you'll see emotion follow that thought, like a, a wake follows a boat. If you have an angry thought, suddenly an angry emotion will come behind it. You'll see this. Once again, this is why you go inwards, you watch it. Then you will realize that every thought creates a response or rather your body will habitually respond to every thought, usually with an emotion or a reflex action. Now, because all of these reflexes and these actions and these responses are one thought responding to another thought, it becomes a loop that never ever ends, a regurgitation of data. This is what the brain does. This is what thoughts do. It's the nature of the brain to think. It's the nature of thought to wander off and recycle itself. That's what it does day in and day out. So if you think that is you, your life is going to be wasted because whatever you are in there, being aware of this situation going on, that's you, that's the real you. So meditation is negating what you are aware of until you arrive at awareness. At that point, you can't go back any further because that's you looking outward. So getting back to my original answer to one of your questions, when you start to study this self as being you, the illusion of the body and the thought process, if you think that is you, you only have the ability to study um, death, aging, deterioration, ego, emotion, all of these things that it goes through. However, once you realize you are not these things you're aware of, you are consciousness that is aware of these things. Once you back into that, and you've left your thought process, your thought process is in front of you. Now you are a higher, different self. Now exploring self has another meaning. So when you start to explore that pure awareness, that pure consciousness that you are, 
now you have the liberty to explore immortality and timelessness because awareness it's not locatable you can't find it you won't see it it's nowhere in particular in your body um it doesn't die it's that part of you that is in all things and comes and goes uh, sorry not comes and goes uh, is always there and passes on to other forms it doesn't die it's a real you it's the life that you are so then you have to start exploring that self the real self and as I say once you start exploring that it's a whole different ball game because the real you is immortal the real you doesn't die you are awareness if you think of it since the day you were born your body has gotten older your eyes may not see as well as they used to see you may not taste things as richly as you used to when you were a young child your hearing may not be as good as it used to be but your awareness of all of those things is exactly the same as it was the day you were born it hasn't aged it hasn't gotten tired it's the part of you that is always there always the same and is in all things so the path to enlightenment is to reverse engineer back into that state of mind and that state of mind that original state of mind has knowledge of all things that it has ever been not just on this planet but throughout the universe aliens other forms of life etc etc you will also once you've done that you can start exploring the invisible realities of life like love and compassion and passion and curiosity these things are invisible but they rule our lives and yet we don't see them because our third eye has been turned off and that's a whole other sport that's another ball game that's a whole other story so I've completely forgot what you asked me but I'm sure there was an answer oh, in there. That, that was good and we can like segue into actually talking about third eye because I, I don't necessarily Ooh. think I understand <laughs> I don't think I necessarily understand it all the way um and I can share with you some experiences to kind of um give you signposts as to see if like things are opening because when people say like your third eye is opening I kind of think of it as just one big event or sorry it seems like that when they say my third eye is open, they see they say it like as if they achieved everything there is, or yeah, it's like an end all be all, if you will. Mm. Whereas like when I've kind of experienced it, it seems like it happens in stages where like maybe I'm a little bit more aware, and now my intuitive sense has increased a little bit. But um, yeah, when it comes to like the third eye and some experiences that I've had. I mean, I'll usually get like pressure in my forehead, which is like a sign that I've had. But um, recently I've been having this weird experience where it's like this intense vibration would enter into my head. And then I was, it was like, I was getting electrocuted. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and as I was getting electrocuted though, like I was starting to see like this little dot and then the little dot inside of me started to expand. And it was like, I was developing this inner sight and I was like able to see a little bit, but with my eyes closed. So that was another kind of thing that I want to point out. And also when I'm meditating as well, like as I'm entering to that half awake and half asleep state, I'll start to see stuff like 
it almost seems like I'm entering to some kind of like shadow or illusory world in a sense, almost like I'm entering to the dream world, but I'm not. So like with those kind of experiences, are those signposts on your third eye opening? And is there kind of like the levels to the opening? Wonderful question. Your third eye, let me put it this way. Do you have vivid dreams, Ezekiel? It's on and off, but yeah, I'll, I'll get it from time to time. You get dreams, okay. How do you think you're seeing them? Um, it's pitch black inside that skull of yours. There's no light in there and mine. No, no one has light in here. It's pitch black. There's no lights on, there's no switches, there's no light bulbs or LEDs, there's no sunlight, it is pitch black in there. And yet, you can visualize a sun and see it brightly. You can visualize anything you want and see it. You can see your thoughts, you can see your dreams. You're not using these eyes to see that. They can't turn backwards and look in, that's not happening. These eyes can only see what blocks light. Do you understand what I mean by that? Yeah, I haven't checked if I don't if I have a light in here or not. Maybe I, I you might. haven't. Nobody has. You're using <laughs> your third eye, is what I'm getting at. It's already there. It's already open. Your third eye is what sees invisible things. This is what I mean. When the sun hits a tree, it can't go through the tree. It bounces off. So when the sun bounces off a tree, it then hits you in the eyeball, the light, and you can now see the tree, or you're seeing a reflection of the tree. If the sunlight could go through the tree, it would be invisible to you because there would be no light bouncing off of it and going into your eyes. This is what I mean by going inwards. You watch this going on. So these eyes cannot see anything that doesn't block sunlight. These eyes can only see things that block sunlight, and that's how we see them. Now, there are invisible things like dreams and thoughts going on in here but you can see them as clear as a bell that's your third eye there's no such thing as opening it there's no such thing as your third eye being closed there's only such a thing as your third eye being suppressed so once you start to understand that you have this inner sight and you've been using it since the day you were born to see your thoughts to see your imaginings etc the next step is to bring it out so you can see invisible things out here in this world. Once you can do that, you then start to see what people would call spirits, what people would call love. You can see love. Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you have a, is there someone in your life that you really, really love? Yeah. Yeah. Family. Yep. Do you love your mom? Yeah. How do you know? It's a feeling in your heart. Yeah. Nothing you can see, though. Yeah. Nothing you can touch. Nothing you can prove. But you know. And this is the land of mysticism. You just know. And it's exactly the same as what you just went into when I asked you if you love your mom. And then I said, how do you know that? If you have a reason for loving someone, you don't love them because if you take that reason away, the love would go away as well. 
love is unconditional. It has no reason. It's also invisible. Passion is invisible. Compassion is invisible. There are many, many things that rule your life that are invisible. Emotions are invisible, and yet they'll control everything you do. If you really don't want to do something, then that emotion will affect the way you do that thing. So that's the third eye. The third eye is already in place. You're born with it. It's already open. Otherwise, you wouldn't even know you're thinking if you didn't have your third eye. You have to see them to know that you're thinking them. So through your first meditations, then, given what we've just talked about, the first things you'll start to notice is you are not your thoughts. Your thoughts can come and go, but whatever you are in there, being aware of them coming and going does not move. You don't come and go. You are there permanently, and that is awareness. That's the real consciousness. So you've just identified the real you, and it's inside. That's why you go inwards. You've also realized that you can see in there, which is pretty freaking miraculous when you think about <laughs> how you're doing that. So that's in there, and that's you. So these are the first two things you need to develop. Pointless looking for guides. It's pointless reading millions of books. Books are someone else's possible experience, but not yours. We never know if they're lying or not, whoever wrote these books. You don't know whether the people who are writing the books are writing purely from their belief system, in which case, anyway, it goes on and on and on. You are life. All of the elements of being alive, all of the things that we call being alive, awareness, movement, animation, speaking, communicating, sharing, all of that is what's being alive. Now, all of those things are obviously in you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting there talking to me. You would be dead, but you're alive. Therefore, everything that makes up being alive is in you right now. So why, why go looking outside of yourself when you've got it in here? It's like if you have a bank account with a billion dollars in it, why do you want to go to work? You've already got the money there, you know, go and do something with it. And it's the same in here. Every single aspect of life, whoa, that was odd. Every single aspect of life, is already in there between your ears. And all you have to do is go in there and start rummaging around until you, anything that's not you, toss it aside. Don't try and suppress it. Don't try and get rid of it. That's not the way. The way is to ignore it and focus on your direction. Do you have a dog? Yeah, I have two. Two. It's even better for my story. You love your dogs too, don't you? Yeah, she loves yeah. me too. Now, when you're sitting on your couch on a Sunday afternoon watching your favorite movie and your loving dogs are on the couch with you or behind you on the floor licking their genitals very loudly, it doesn't bother you. It doesn't stop you from enjoying your movie because you love your dogs. You know what they are. They're not you and you can ignore them. You've gotten used to it. That's how you, but if you had friends around that don't know your dogs, that might annoy them, the dogs licking their genitals in the background, because it makes a noise. It's in the background. 
And that's how you have to be with your thoughts. You don't try and stop them. You don't try and abuse them. You don't try and do anything with them. Allow them to do their thing in the back of your head. Allow them to regurgitate and cycle and think. Allow them to do that. It's got nothing to do with you. They are tools. They are data. If you have an electric drill in your garage, you don't take that electric drill out to make lunch. You don't take it out to wipe your bum when you go to the toilet. You, you take it out when you need to drill a hole and then you put it back. Your thought process is the same. When you need it, it's there and you can take it and use it to look, to drive a car or to engineer a bridge or whatever you need your thoughts for. But when you're not using them and you put them away, you just leave them to the side and ignore them. And then you will immediately start to be re-in-touch with all of the knowing of the spirit and the consciousness that you are. And that can happen several times a day. It's called coming and going in the spiritual realms, the ability to come and go, depending on what tradition you're using or what method you're using for your self-mastery and enlightenment. But uh... <laughs> um, so the meditation you have on YouTube with uh, it's like the 12 minute one. Um, you talk about crystallizing was it this state or I think you talk about as soon as you start to relax, you try to crystallize it inside of you. What does that mean to like crystallize? I, I would say higher self inside of you. Like, what does that mean? Okay. At the moment, in your average person that doesn't do any practice, your ego and your thought process is here. The awareness that you are is here. Your thought process, your ego, is the dominating force in your head. It, it, uh, it makes all the calls. It makes all the laws and the rules of your life. It dictates what you're going to like and what you're not going to like. This is your ego. And occasionally when you meditate, Awareness will come up and watch the ego and then it'll go back down. To crystallize that means every single day exercise your awareness so that it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger till eventually it's the dominating force. Oh, at okay. the moment, at the moment, you have to go from ego and try and reach this state through meditation. You need to reverse that so that thoughts are always here, you are always here, and when it comes time to think, it, it's actually an effort. You have to actually bring your thoughts up to think them, and when you're finished with them, they go back down. Crystallizing means, uh, I'll give you a, a little example. So many people come to me, to the monastery or the temple, they come to me for advice. So I talk them down, I get them out of their anxiety and their depression and their sadness and their anger, whatever it is that they've come to me for. And you settle all that down and they feel wonderful. And for the first time in a year or so, they start to laugh and enjoy life. By the time they've gotten from my office down to the front gate, they're already thinking about the kids at home. I'll be home from school in 10 minutes and got to cook dinner for the kids, spouse is coming home, oh no, had a fight last night, traffic to get back home, oh my God. So before you've even left 
my front gate, you're back in the ego again. So you haven't crystallized this higher self. You've just been shown it and you've been taken there for a few moments enough to alleviate the pressure that the ego has been putting on you with anxiety and sadness and anger and whatever it is that it's throwing at you at that time. So the point is, if you're only interested in these things, you will never reach the ultimate end. It's like if you want to be a brain surgeon, the best in the world, forget your friends, forget nightclubs, forget going out and getting drunk and all of that shit. If you want to be the best brain surgeon in the world or just a brain surgeon, you have to think it, read it, sleep it, dream it, practice it, watch it until you eventually become that thing, a world-class brain surgeon. If that's not how you approach it, you will never, ever make it. It's just not possible. If you want to, et cetera, et cetera, you see what I'm getting at. And it's the yeah. same with this. You have to think it. You constantly be watching your thoughts. If if suddenly you feel upset out of nowhere, you have to think, where, the hell, where did that come from? <clears throat> what thought came up to create this emotion that I'm feeling now? I didn't ask that emotion to come up. I didn't ask that thought to come up. So who's in charge here? This is the attitude you have to have. Otherwise, you're just sitting on a wild horse with your hands tied behind your back and a blindfold on. You know you're alive. You know you're on some kind of a living vehicle, but you've got no idea where it's going to take you or what's going to happen or when you're going to fall off. And that's your average person's life right now. So that's it. Yeah, that makes total sense right there. Um, let's talk about telekinesis. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'll, I could share with you a couple of dreams I had, and I want to I want to see if they are accurate or not because you've performed it. Um, now I had two dreams. And both of the states that I were in were slightly different uh, when I performed it in my dream at sleep or at the night. Um, the first one, I was at a grocery store and there was like this crate on the shelf. And I was like walking to the store, just like on air. Like I felt so happy and light. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, I had this like balloon feeling inside of my hand. And so as I'm walking through, I could feel like these balloon feelings in my hand. And I noticed that that crate on the shelf had that same balloon feeling. And so I looked at the object and I was like, uh, I was like, I can move this however I want. And then I just kind of like, um, just like how I would guide my hand, like, oh, I can move my hand here, here. I'm like, oh, let me move this. And then I'll just walk along with it and it's floating with me and that was the end of that one. And the second one was slightly different though, because in the center of my palms. So I was at my house and I was like, there's a, on the table, there was like a, I think a water bottle. I can't remember what the object was, but I remember the, the feeling in my hand was like, as if you're putting a bunch of pressure in the middle. And so I see the object. And when I want to move it though, this one felt like I kind of like attached a rope to it or some kind of connection to it. And I was able to kind of just move it however I wanted like that. 
So it was a little bit more intense in my hands that time. Whereas the other time it was more like a balloon feeling. And I was like, you know, if you hit a balloon and you get the feeling like, oh, let me like yeah, calmly. Yeah. So are those accurate? And how would you kind of describe the state that you're in when you're doing that? That's two questions. I'll answer the first one. You'll have to remind me of the second one at the end of my answer. Yeah. When it comes to dreams, once again, don't use books. Uh, I'll give you a key to reading dreams correctly. If I, when I was a child, if I had a paper run, I used to go and deliver papers. And one day during one of these deliveries, a rotwheeler, a dog, let's say hypothetically, <clears throat> when I'm delivering these papers one day, a rotwheeler dog gets out of somebody's front yard and it bites me severely, puts me in hospital, tears my leg to pieces. Now, let's say that same week, you on the other side of the world have a rotwheeler dog, the same kind of dog, but you've had it since a puppy and it's your best friend and it sleeps on your couch and it sleeps at the end of your bed at nighttime and it follows you to school. It's your best friend. Now, today, if I have a, a dream about a Rottweiler, it's going to be representing pain and misery and aggression and being attacked and all those bad things. If you have a dream about a Rottweiler, it's going to be one of love and compassion and companionship and all the things you felt with, with your Rottweiler. So if someone was to write a book about what Rottweilers mean, if you dream about one, that's going to be total bullshit because it's going to, everything depends on what these things mean to you. So when you say you're in a supermarket in your dream, what does a supermarket mean to you? What does it represent to you? What does floating things mean to you? What does a rope mean to you? You know, a rope to someone who's been hung is a nasty thing. They don't want to know about a rope to someone who loves yachting around in yachts and boats a rope is a wonderful thing so it depends what a rope means to you it depends what a shelf means to you you see then you have to look into those things and then you will have an absolute accurate description of what that dream was trying to tell you it's probably giving you hints on how to tweak your efforts and your practices in pk so like each object, so say, for example, like in my everyday, like waking state and stuff, um, I probably in the past, I've had an experience with a crate or something and it impressed my mind. Yes. And so when it's popping up, it's like, that's it. That's, and there's it, like a meaning behind it. This is one of the things that you see when you go inwards. And I haven't read any of this. I watch this. My teacher hasn't read any of this. He watched it. You go in and you watch it. I'll get back to uh, an emotion that might just crop up and wreck your day out of nowhere. If you're not a meditator, if you haven't opened your third eye to a point where you're watching your thoughts all day, every day, what will happen is you might be sitting in a park having lunch and you may have had a very, very nice, pleasant day up until that point. And then suddenly 
you just feel sad or a little bit angry and you have no idea why and it'll just wreck the rest of your day it'll evolve it'll regurgitate your brain will start to associate your feeling with things and suddenly your your viewpoint gets a bit negative and the day turns into shit for you now if you're constantly aware and you've trained yourself to be aware of everything that's going on what you hypothetically might have seen is that while you're sitting there eating your lunch someone at the other side of the park may have laughed having fun with their family and you'll hear this laugh subconsciously it's in the background and this laugh might be exactly the same as a teacher at school that used to pick on you all the time, a teacher that didn't like you particularly, a teacher that almost bullied you at school, in class, a teacher that was in such a way that you didn't want to go to school because you just didn't want to see this teacher because it just he upsets you. So coincidentally, though, his laughter might be exactly the same as the one you heard in the park, but you won't have watched these associations so what's happened in a nutshell, you're sitting there, you're enjoying yourself, your brain hears a laughter at the other side of the park, that laughter reminds you of something, your brain recycles through its memories and information, and it realizes that that laughter is exactly the same as this teacher that used to, to didn't like you and used to wreck your day. Because you're not seeing this going on, because you're not watching it, it's subconscious, but you now don't feel very well, you don't feel very good, you feel like you used to feel when you had to go to school knowing that that teacher was going to be there and that will wreck your day. If you see that and you know that they're just your thoughts and you'll see your thought and you'll see your thought associated with that memory and then you'll see your, uh, your adrenal glands will suddenly give a little squirt of adrenaline you start to shake a little bit and you start to feel the anger. You start to feel the emotions coming up. When you watch it all, suddenly it doesn't upset your day. Suddenly it's actually quite fascinating. The, the speed at which it happens is fascinating. You'll actually smile. You'll go, wow, that is incredible. That's going on in people's heads all the time and they don't see it. They don't know it. And then you'll start to get feelings of wanting to go and do workshops for people to point these things out because you will have discovered the source of our misery it's association and this all comes from going inwards it's a wonderful amazing miraculous science self-mastery and mysticism it should be taught at school <laughs> but you're not going to rule a world full of people that learn self-mastery at school because they won't let you. <laughs> and that's that. So the second question you had was quite interesting, but I forgot already. But I did it say was like, what state were you in when you performed telekinesis? Because I kind of depicted in those dreams like what kind of state I was in. So I'm kind of curious to like, what are you feeling and experiencing <clears throat> in that moment? So exactly the same as doing that with your finger. If you do that with your finger right now, what are you feeling? Can you see the impulses? Why? How are you doing it? Why are you doing it? That's PK. I, you, 
are a non-physical spiritual being. Pure awareness. Can't touch matter. You can be in it, but you can't touch it. And that's what you are. And yet you can move this dead meat. If you take consciousness out of this thing, it, it doesn't move. It can't move. It's not possible. It's just meat. It's a dead lump of stuff. But when you're in there, you can move it. How are you doing that? That's PK already. So you're already doing it. It's like the third eye thing. You're already doing it. So don't waste your whole life trying to learn how to do that because you've been doing it since the day you were born. You watch a brand new baby and baby will be sitting in a cot. Its hand will go past its face and it'll go, what the hell was that? It won't say that, but you can see it in its face. It doesn't know what that is. So it'll spend the next year figuring out what that is and then learning how to control it until it can eventually put ice cream in its mouth instead of its face. And that's, it's learning PK. It's learning how to move this piece of meat because it doesn't have any thoughts of being separate from the meat. It doesn't have any concepts that this can't be done. It doesn't have any of that crap. So when I do things like this, it's purely a matter of having absolutely no thought whatsoever of self. The moment you have a concept of self, the moment you have a concept of you sitting there wanting to move this, that thought process implies that you are not the pen, you are a separate entity, and there's absolutely no way you can move it without touching it. That's what that implies, and therefore it will never happen for you. Now try and imagine this. When you have no concepts, when your mind is absolutely still, <clears throat> there's no concept of you, there's no concept of me. You'll see me and I can see you, but there's no thoughts going on implying that we are two separate creatures. So when you do this, you're not going, I am going to move that finger. You don't do that at all. You don't have to. There's no concept in there separating you from this. So it's an immediate thing. It doesn't require thought. It just requires intent. Intent is the thought process of the spirit. It doesn't use thoughts per se. So the spirit knows it has an intention to move. And from that, a process occurs and you move. With PK, when you have no concept, for instance, if you call that a pen, you've just separated yourself from it because you've called it something that you are not. If you have concepts of here and there, you've separated everything. The moment you give one thing a label, you have completely split up truth, the entire universe into zillions of pieces because if you call that a pen, you now have to call that something else because it doesn't look like that. And if you call that something else, you now have to call that something else because that doesn't look like that. So by giving one thing a label, your brain will give a label to everything else. And now it's all split up and shattered into a billion pieces. And that delusion is what stops us from doing the things that you, you are talking about. 
So the state of mind that I get in is no thought of self, no thought of other, no label, certainly no thought of, of I or me. The moment you say I, you've just separated yourself from everything that isn't I. And therefore, logically, you won't be able to move anything. So you get rid of all of those thoughts and then suddenly you are all things. And then moving a pen is as simple as doing that because you don't see it as being separate to yourself. You see it as being a part of self. And that is the beginning of real spiritual healing. I, I've had cancer quite a lot in my life. Uh, I had it in both lungs at one point in my life, but I got rid of that over 40 nights, no medication whatsoever, <clears throat> just meditation. Uh, what I'm getting at here is because I brought up healing. If you want to heal someone miraculously, and it's not miraculous, but anyway, if you want to heal someone spiritually through love, when you see someone in pain and someone in misery, you have to love them to a point where you would prefer to have their disease than to see them suffering. It doesn't matter who it is. It can be your, your worst enemy. Um, so you take it into yourself and that works. And then you go away and you deal with it and you get rid of the disease that you've taken on. Um, and that only works through love and love only works when there is no separation between you and what it is that you are loving. Love, and I'm not talking about the warm, fuzzy feeling when you get with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your dog or whoever. I'm talking about... Um, real love, the, the force, the universal force that brings things together. It's almost like gravity. When you get caught up in it, you can't fight it. It just pulls things together. That's real love. Love is when you see someone across the road, an old man that might be drunk, and he's fallen over into the gutter, and he's smashed his nose on the gutter and there's blood. Everyone's walking around him. No one wants to touch him because he might be homeless. But if you're the kind of person without a single thought, you just walk over there and pick the guy up and dust him off and send him on his way. Even though he smells and he's covered in urine and feces, you still do it. That's love. Most people won't do that. Anyway, so that's how you heal. That love is awareness as well. Awareness, pure awareness has many, many characteristics. Like I said, it's invisible. It's all knowing. It's full of love. And its default state, as nature produced it, is joyous and happy. You don't learn to be happy. You don't get happy. You don't try to produce being happy or joyous. That's what's left when you get rid of everything else. And that's why when people suddenly in a state of deep meditation, suddenly for a few seconds when their thoughts stop, they, oh, 
and tears well out of their eyes and they're just goosebumps everywhere. I've got it now because I'm thinking about it. That's a default state. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Now you imagine (laughs) if you got Hitler and Mussolini and I don't know, just a bunch of nasty people that I can't think of. <laughs> if you got just a bunch of nasty freaking people from around the world, what we would call evil people, perhaps, and you put them all in a room together and you get them all to just meditate on their breath, meditate on their breathing, or just give them a form of meditation where they can all just still their minds for one minute. If you can get them all to a point where none of them have any thought process or they're not responding to their thought processes for one minute. For that one minute, those people would be caring and loving. They would all be sharing the same mind because you've taken them out of their process. You've taken them away from their thought processes and you've ended up getting them all back to that original state of mind that nature produced when those people were born. And it's full of happiness, it's full of joy, and it's full of love. So let's take that one step further. If you've got everyone on the planet today to meditate and rise above their thoughts for two minutes, what a different world it would be. Yeah, a massive shift in that. I could just someone, imagine. Someone should, write a, someone should write a song about that, Ezekiel. Yeah. So whoever's listened to this and you're a songwriter, there you go. There's your there's your cue to start your song. <laughs> Wonderful. So that was your answer. Yeah. Well, we reached the end of our time here. Um, but I appreciate and I love you coming on here. You said a lot of good stuff and cool. My pleasure. Last question would be, uh, where can people find you? On your channel. <laughs> uh there is there is a website that my students loosely keep together and of course i have a a youtube channel um on the website there are three options if people want to get in touch with me there is a a free option if people want to get in touch with me you can have your name put on an impromptu list And that impromptu list is, and as you know, I have one hour a day where I can actually just stop and have a cup of tea and some lunch, but I don't. I do this because I enjoy this. So with an impromptu, if you put your name down for that, it doesn't cost you anything. Um, And I will, when I have a free moment, I will give you a very quick call. I'll give you 10 minutes to get the call or to get my message. And if you are lucky enough to be somewhere where you can uh, just drop everything and get onto your computer, you can talk to me for 15 minutes to half an hour for nothing. And I can give you some tips and hints on whatever it is you've tried to get in touch with me for. If you want to go a little bit deeper, there's another option where you can meet up with um four or five other people um that requires a small donation it doesn't matter how much really it's just a donation and that's a tithing 
during that session you'll be there with three or four other people that you may or may not have ever met before and you can sit in on a small one-hour chat with me and three or four other people if you want to go to the next step and this is where I earn a living. I do like to eat and I do like to pay my rent. So a one-on-one -on -one situation is also there, also there as an option. But that one is through a third-party agent. And what they do is they will book you um, and they will book me. I do it for nothing. The third-party agent is the one that does all the booking. I'm the product, apparently. Um, but what you get there is you'll get to see me, I think, within a week of making that booking. Any of the other ones, it can take up to four months to get to see me because there's a list of over 500 people at the moment. Um, are you still there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm still here. <clears throat> So that's it. So for the one hour session, you sit down with me just like this and I teach you and you can ask anything you want to ask about anything. And I will do the best I can to give you an answer or take you toward an answer of your own. So that's a one on one. That's you and I being guide and student or practitioner. And that's on the website. I don't know what it is right now. I don't look after these things, but maybe pop it into the description below this when it goes out would be cool. I will do for sure. And that's about it. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. It's lovely seeing your face and talking well, thank to you. <laughs> It's an absolute pleasure, Ezekiel. I've really, really enjoyed myself. I think we should do this again. 